Tuesday, Big Band Tuesday. Just the mask. Such a random reference. But all part of the administrative nonsense. I'm not even going to explain it anymore. You got to go back and dig through the archives. You have to work to listen to that show. This show. That's how you get ahead in this business. Who came up? Was it Dodd who came up with the phrase administrative nonsense? No. It was, it was a, a texter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a podcast. No, Adam, the pod- former bath guy. No, it was a podcast. It might be Adam, the former bath guy. It was a podcast review, actually. Oh, oh that's right. That's oh, what. Yeah. That's right. It was a podcast review. And God, that's you- like perfect administrative nonsense. It's like we need to get to all these things. Was it the eligible bachelor? I believe it might have been him. Oh yeah, maybe Woodrow, him. the eligible bachelor. It might be. There's maybe. some administrative nonsense right there. Imagine explaining that one. Yeah, even the guest, even the listeners, the names of the listeners that we have, trying to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> That's Imagine Simpsons. turning on the show for the first time. It's an early Simpsons <laughs> reference. Mm-hmm. Like, what is Ender this show, Kabapel honey? Was on a dating service. <laughs> Bart put in a picture of Gordy Howe. There's your hockey tie-in. Honey, I don't know what the show is talking about, but it appears to have someone named Adam, the former bath guy, and Woodrow, the eligible bachelor. People like it. Anyway, uh, okay, let's focus here, shall we? No. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by all the sponsors that have attached themselves (laughs) to this administrative nonsense. Uh, The Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you. If your liquor store doesn't have it, demand it. Or just visit the brewery to see how it's made. You're just at a liquor store demanding things. Like, uh... You, liquor store, get me my primetime. I will wait. They'll do it. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Okay. Uh, last night, there weren't a ton of NHL. There's only four games last night in and around the league. The big one, of course, was Edmonton versus Los Angeles. The winner would vault into third place in the Pacific Division. The loser would be relegated to a wild card spot. Uh, Oilers win 4-2. Kind of a loser team has to settle for like a wild card spot. It's barely a playoff spot. <laughs> it's like a bonus round. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers won 4-2. Evan Bouchard with a big third period there. Goal and assist. Bouchbaum. Yeah, he's Bouchbaumming away there. He's going to be expensive on his next contract, by the way. Um, big win for the Oilers, who had lost three straight. Stuart Skinner, 38 saves in the win. So here's uh, how this all played out at the end of the night. Oilers win. They go into third. The Kings, who have now dropped two of their last three, and they play the Canucks on Thursday, but not before they play Calgary tonight. And it's a it's a pretty high Calgary team. They've won three in a row. So basically, you're going to get the same scenario that Boston was in. So if the Canucks can hang in there for two periods against the Kings on Thursday, they should be able to take over in the third. Just got to keep it close. You can even spot them a two-goal keep, lead if you like. Build up your, the drama. Keep your composure on the bench. That's all you got to do. And then you'll get a win in overtime. Everything will happen the exact same. Uh, so I should and mention. we'll fight about Petey. On Saturday. Because they don't play uh, until Sunday. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yep. Uh, also last night, 
it's not very often that I would include the Islanders stars, but Bo Horvat, you know, Bo Horvat leads the NHL in overtime winners this year. He got his third, and I believe it's his second against the Dallas Stars, oddly enough. I only want really want I only really want to mention this game because Bo, former Canucks captain, but also uh the Stank Oven. Logan Stankoven got his I NHL. Stank oven. <laughs> the Stank Oven. He got his NHL debut yesterday and scored his first ever NHL. On his birthday. Goal. Yeah, good for him. Uh, of course, the Stars lost. That's bad. <laughs> but it comes with the free throw. But he got pizza I, after. I'm sorry. It was his second That's career good. game. First NHL goal in his second career game. So mm. kudos to him. Nice shot, too. Man, he's going to be a good player. I remember oh. first watching him at the juniors. And I was like, why wasn't this guy a first-round pick? We all, lament- we all lamented it in our text thread yesterday because uh, this was the guy that was taking, what, six spots after Danila Klimovich in the draft? Hey, he could still pan out. Klimovich? Or Stankoven. Because Stankoven feels like he's... <laughs> and I know it's Stankoven. I remember the year I left Kamloops to Van- come back to Vancouver. It was the year that they drafted him. So I never actually got to see him play when I was covering the Blazers. But I remember he just absolutely tore it up like the two years after the fact. Like, right. He was, just, he was so good for them. And this is a passion project of local hockey fans is why don't we draft the local guys? Yeah. Right? I mean, the time immemorial. We can go way back. Brendan Gallagher... Milan Lucic, take your pick. I don't know if you've heard this before, but uh, Stankoven was too small to go in the first was, round. Yeah, that was the knock, right? Mm-hmm. It sure seems like it's really cost him now. He was, so he was the leading scorer in the American League prior to getting called up, right? And now him and Wyatt Johnson. And Dallas, we don't talk enough about Dallas because they're boring and no one cares about them. But um, I, I'm going to be interested to see how he pans out because, one, local kid. Two, everyone kind of wanted him. In the draft, and then three of all the guys, like Klimovich was the reach there. Also, fun name to say. The stank oven. That's yeah. the extra bonus. Didn't Kl- Klimovich had, like, one good tournament? It was, like, the U18s or something like that, and the Canucks kind of fell in love with them there. They became enamored with the, pa- they went, the package. Because they didn't have a first-round pick, so they really wanted to take a, a swing. Yes. It was a home-run swing. And it was, like, it looks like it, like, they were expecting fastball, and they got the change-up. I understand why scouts put so much stock into these tournaments because it's best on best. And sure. They're playing in better caliber than their usual leagues. But I hate, hate how much stock gets put into their performances in these tournaments. That like, was the last vestiges of the Jim Benning draft era, correct? That was yeah. a couple bad ones. A couple bad ones in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so elsewhere in the National Hockey League, we, we got through the scores from last night. Um, there's a story percolating, emanating, whatever word you want to use from Winnipeg right now, and it's going to get amplified even more today because Gary Bettman is going to Winnipeg. Gary Bettman is going to Winnipeg today to meet with local business owners, uh, obviously the Winnipeg Jets ownership, Mark Chipman and company. He's going to meet with the media, and he's going to do a fireside chat with Winnipeg Jets season ticket holders, which are dwindling, by the way. Yeah, of course, that's how, that's how everyone the, heats, fire them, the... heats themselves in Winnipeg still. The fireside. Fireside, yeah. Right, yeah. It's like we either keep burning wood or we buy season tickets. And most of them are choosing the wood because they are down 27% season ticket holders in they Winnipeg. They should give away free wood if you go to a Jets game. That's yeah. A promotion. Yeah. Here's a, here's a log. Lumber's not cheap these yeah. days, man. It's true. The log under every bench. <laughs> Think how much wood you can make with that. Gary, heat, your, heat your family. They're going to promote. They're going to present this to Gary Bettman. He's like, have you thought this through? Anyway, they are down from 13,000 season ticket holders. Their base is now down to 9,500. It's a 27% drop. And Mark Chipman, in a recent interview with The Athletic, 
said that the franchise cannot last the way that things are going. Chipman said, quote, we've got to get back to 13,000. The place we find ourselves in right now, it's not going to work over the long haul. Now, comments like this are concerning, but in Winnipeg, they're even more concerning, and they're very concerning because I don't know if everyone's aware of this or not, but Winnipeg lost a hockey team previously, and everyone is on edge that could happen again. So what are they chalking this up to? Because for me, it could be a few reasons, and maybe it's all these reasons combined. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, tough times economically, I think, for, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, there are people that are still doing fine. But there's a lot of people that are struggling just to meet uh, the, their monthly expenses, um, inflation, interest rates. You know, the economy is weird, I would say, right tough. now. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there is also the, um, you know, when the Jets first arrived in Winnipeg, they asked for commitments of a certain length. Um, you know, I know that the Jets have been in Winnipeg for a while, but maybe there are some people that are just like, listen, I committed from day one. I've gone to a lot of hockey games. I've spent a lot of money. And now it's like, yeah, I just, I just need a break. Or, you know, like the excitement for me, the honeymoon phase is over with the Jets. Um, it was really exciting when they went to the conference finals, but like the way they ended the season last year, I'm out. Right. So, well, hold on a sec. Okay. You know, um, or is it something else? So for further context, let's go to Merrick and Fridge because they talked about this at length on their show yesterday about everything that you're discussing, all the different facets, all the different aspects, what's going on and what the future has in store. So very uh, sort of rounded conversation. Fridge, Merrick yesterday on the Jeff Merrick show uh, on the situation in Winnipeg. You know, the, the, the one thing I, I look at here is that yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't want to go through that, and it's a concern. There, there's no question about it. Um, you know, the one thing I always say, though, is control what you can control. And, you know, sometimes you're not going to win every game. You're not going to win every year. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the other thing, too, is and I remember this covering the Raptors when they first started. You know, there's a, there's a couple of years where it's a novelty, right? And people yeah. really enjoy it. And then that wears off if you don't start competing. And, you know, Winnipeg competed. They went to the Final Four in 2018 uh, before they dropped off a bit. But the one thing I always speak about, and I've been reading some of the stuff out there and talking to some people I know in Winnipeg, and Mark Chipman has kind of admitted this um, in uh, some recent interviews, and that is that what kind of experience are people getting when they're going into your building um like that's one Mm. thing that the the nba in particular did really well i learned when when they came to toronto with the raptors is that the nba had a good in arena show like they they played music during play as a matter of fact they changed one of the rules they they used to have a rule that you couldn't play music when the visiting team had the ball you could only do it when the home team had the ball they changed it. Yeah. Now you can play music all the time. But, like, the NBA was a good show. And the NHL's always had a challenge with that because you can't really use the ice as part of the show during periods. Like, in intermissions, you can have Cindy Crawford scoring goals and the building going crazy. But during the game, <laughs> you can't do that so much. 
Um, and so, like, that's yeah. the one thing I always think. When your team isn't very good or when your team is struggling, are people leaving your building saying, eh, we didn't win tonight, but we had a good time? And that is a huge question that always needs to be asked. And judging from the stuff I'm reading out of Winnipeg, they have been wrestling with that. Do their customers feel like they're being valued? But at the end of the day, Jeff, your number one mm. motivator for people to go to games is, does my, is my team good? Does my team have a chance to win? And you're right. You're going to have years where it's not going to be good, but you can't have too many of them in a row. Because it doesn't matter how good your show is. If your team is not good, mm-hmm. you have no chance. So one of the things that we discussed, like one of the few times we, we were positive about the Canucks during the last few years before this one mm-hmm. was the game day experience, the actual experience of going to a Canucks game got better. Yes. And I said a few times, you know, like I think their game day presentation improved. Yep. Like what they were doing during the intermissions and all that sort of stuff. Um, you and I will often, well, not all that often, but once in a while we'll take clients to um, some of the the restaurants there. Yep. Um, and that was improved upon and that was really good. And even if the Canucks didn't win, which they normally didn't when we went to games, we were like, that was still a fun night. They, we put, a, they st- put a sports bar in Rogers Arena. Yeah, like they they they, 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 foc- they they focused on those things, and um, you know, it, it didn't make up for the fact that the Canucks weren't winning, but it helped, right? And and, and you can't get uh, you well, can't get lazy with that stuff. Well, you just hit on you know, a really important thing. It's a it's it's a service business. You just hit on a really important thing with the winning because oftentimes the default answer to all of these problems is just win hockey games. It'll solve everything. What Winnipeg is finding out right now is that's not true. Winnipeg's one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Mm -hmm. Winnipeg's winning a ton of games. Winnipeg looks like a bona fide Stanley Cup contender. Winnipeg is buying at the deadline, in advance of the deadline to make a, a run. But the ticket holders are dwindling. And people don't want to go. So the question is, well, wait a minute. If this tried and true adage about winning is the greatest deodorant, winning solves all problems, how come it's not working in Winnipeg? And the answer is winning doesn't matter at the end of the day because there's so much more involved in it. Winning even, even... is like, – I disagreed with what Fried said there, to be honest. You can't have a losing product year after year after year after year and expect them to come back. Mm-hmm. But you can't have – a crappy service and a crappy experience and just say, well, we won the game at the end of it. Even locally with the BC Lions, think about how much more they've done beyond winning on the field, which they, which I guess they've done during the regular season, but they haven't made it back to a Grey Cup. They haven't won a Western final. They haven't hosted a Western final. Like, don't get me wrong, they're winning more than they're losing, and that has been part of the reason why there's been some reinvigoration of the BC Lions Mm -hmm. in the market, but for me, I won't speak for every fan. For me, it's like the care and the passion that they're showing about the team and the fan base, reaching out to all different segments of fans, going and, and making an effort. Um, I don't live on the island, obviously, but you know, there's a lot of people that appreciate the fact that they're arranging things, they're helping people on the island 
be able to make these games in an easier fashion, you know, or, or making sure that they can get over in time for the game um, and get back and they're putting on street parties. They're, you know, bringing in, you know, fairly big name musical acts. Like they're giving people bang for their buck beyond the actual football game because I actually don't think that when it comes to the CFL in this town and frankly when it comes to the game day experience with like the CFL, like if you're not giving them something beyond a winning product, Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to be successful. Now that's another important point because things changed when ownership changed. And what Amar Dolman did when he came in He didn't yell at the audience and say, we need more season ticket holders or else we're not going to be able to be sustainable. He said, we need to do better as an organization. Almost the polar opposite of what's happened in Winnipeg is that Mark Chipman came out and I don't know if he was trying to be candid or just trying to address the situation, but however he did it, he really drew the ire of Jets fans because there's been subsequent pieces in the free press and the sun in Winnipeg, which have said, Hey, You need to listen to your fans. Your fans are supporting this team, but you're not giving them much of a product in return beyond the on-ice product. Mm -hmm. Like There are legion of complaints about crappy customer service, really expensive concessions, really expensive parking. People say it's not even a legitimate night out to go to a game because where the arena is kind of stinks. There's nothing around it. Downtown isn't great. It's not like... So you better make the arena the place to be. And they're not doing it. Yeah, And it's a really instructive lesson, I think, given where we're at and how expensive, like affordability and livability across Canada right now, it's tough. Mm -hmm. And to ask the same people who are buying tickets to continually do it as the rest of the prices of everything in their lives goes up and then hold them hostage and say, well, if you don't shell out the bucks for the local hockey team, Maybe the local hockey team goes bye-bye again. That is a very, very dangerous game to play. Um, So I want to read one text um, about my PD rant. Yes. Earlier in the show, and in case you missed it, A-Dog loaded the rant up onto X. Um, So you can watch it there if you want to just, or you can download the podcast, Hour One. Um, My point was basically like the reason why this is a story and realizing that PD has said, I don't want to talk about it during the season. My point was like, the reason it's a story and newsworthy right now is that we're leading up to the trade deadline and the Canucks, the team that we all cheer for, is frustrated that they can't get PD to the table. That's the story. Yep, that's right? the story. That's the story. So Dean from Tawasson texts in, I hear what you were saying about uh, all things being true and management can be upset that they can't move forward on their agenda, but it is also their job to manage their team and players. If a player has said they want to negotiate in the off season, then respect that. Is it, it is upon them to keep this team focused and moving forward. This is on them to manage and not allow this to get to where it has gotten. I think that's a pretty good text. And I think that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty fair text. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bruce Boudreaux situation, um, I felt that a coaching change was needed and they felt that a coaching change was needed. And I don't think many of us have complained about the coaching change that was made 
Rick Tockett is probably going to win coach of the year. That was the right decision. Mm -hmm. But was it handled well? No, it was not. That was was really poorly handled. And frankly, it was bizarre. It was got ugly at times. That there was such public criticism of criticism of the head coach from management. It was in my experience, even like with the Canucks or even in the NHL, I can't remember a situation where it was so obvious that the management did not want the coach from the beginning of the season. Yeah. Like for it, it was it was like it was it was it was weird. Um and I will stand by the fact that I, I agreed with the fact that Boudreaux was not the right coach for them and they needed somebody else. Um, but I think you can also look back on that and be like, that wasn't handled well. That didn't look good for the organization. So they have to balance this situation um, and not let it get to that point where like there's kind of like public feuding and the Canucks are walking a tight rope here because – I guess they do in some ways very carefully want to get the message out that they would like Petey to come to the table. But at the same time, unlike Boudreaux, <laughs> they want to keep Petey. Yeah. Like, they, like they, with Boudreaux, I, part I of it that. was kind of like, I don't like, I don't care what Bruce thinks, right? Like I, he's not going to be part of this organization, but they very much want to keep Petey. So it is going to be a tough situation because. You know, the the other thing I was told by the way that all these leaks that are happening, they're not necessarily they're 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 you know, the person I spoke to at least was like, This isn't coming from the Canucks. Oh, I mean I'm- like it's coming from the teams that are calling on the Canucks, right? And and, and, and they're telling they're telling uh, people like, Hey, like you, you know, like something's going on in Vancouver with Pedersen, right? This is how you tear down a team. You can't beat them on the ice, you beat them in the executive lounge. You place a phone yeah. call to Jim Rutherford, and then you place another phone call to your source and say, "Hey, I'm calling the Canucks about Pedersen." So that's the, news. So I don't know if the Canucks are going to do anything to try and say like they. I wouldn't be surprised if they came out um, and be like, "We're not worried about Petey. What he's doing is fine, even if they're not fine with it, even if they're super frustrated with it, because you don't want to get you don't want even come close to the situation." that they were in with Bruce where it was like ugly, you know, it was like, it was like management was pitted against the coaching staff. So I think that was a really good text from Dean from Tawasson because even though the Canucks management might be super frustrated and they might feel that PD is keeping them from doing all the work that they still need to do to keep this team from being not only, you know, help them try and win the cup this year, but keep them from being a one and done team and plan for the future. Like don't make it seem where it's like we're pitted against this. Can I also add just another contextualization on that text in both instances here? These are situations that the current management group inherited. These were not situations of their own doing. These were not situations of their own making. They inherited Pedersen's contract situation. They inherited Boudreaux as a head coach, right? They didn't make the hire. I'm just laughing at this. Jason, you were really hitting home runs getting the fan base riled up today. 
Can you explain to me how the hell the Bruce Boudreaux situation was a management fumble? The media leaked all the information to the public, no, turning I, it into I the circus. I already replied to this guy. You don't need to read this. What, were you not watching the Jim Rutherford after hours? Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't need to. We don't need to address this. This is just just factually. Wrong. We are gonna be fine. <laughs> it's just factually. We're reading yeah. a text that is just factually wrong. It's not. It's not accurate in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, we'll let that one go. That's just like it, it's just. Yeah. Okay. We'll let it go. Yeah. Okay, let it go. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just wrong. I don't know what to say. Anyway, we got a lot more to get to on the program. Sean Gentilly's going to join us next. Uh, Penguins, Canucks, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena tonight. Uh, we're going to talk to Sean about the Pittsburgh side of things. Jake Gensel, who is on this trip, by the way. He skated after practice yesterday. Everything that's going on with Kyle Dubas and the future direction of this club. It's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. Get some at a liquor store near you or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. If this music was played on buses across Vancouver, like nonstop, if this was all they played, mm-hmm. which is loudspeaker, I think everybody would be a lot happier. You're a public transit guy. Yeah, I think it would bring up the mood of the city if this was the music they played nonstop. Sky trains too? Yeah, everywhere. See bus. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even escape for 50 minutes. It's wow. on loop. <laughs> The worst, the People worst jumping off the ever. side of the sea bus. <laughs> uh, the Canucks and Penguins are in action tonight. 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Pre-game, post-game, and the actual game. You can hear it all right here. Uh, joining us now to break it all down from the Pittsburgh side of things, Sean Gentilly from The Athletic NHL writer here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Guys, I went to... Uh... Disney World last summer, and that music reminds me of the music that they would pipe into, like, the Hollywood Studios, like, park. Like, you'd be riding around on a tram or something, and Mickey Mouse and Goofy would be, like, tap dancing to to that song or something. Yep, and there's two gigantic people eating gigantic turkey legs whilst walking the park. Not a drop of alcohol to be found. I've been to. It's not the greatest. Um, I wanted to start here with the Penguins. Not necessarily what's going on on the ice, because they have won a couple games in a row here, but... um, how much of the on-ice product is being overshadowed by what's going on off the ice with the Gensel situation, the direction that Kyle Dubas is going to take the team, Kyle Dubas meeting with the media last week? Is it more about the direction the team is going to take as opposed to trying to claw back into a playoff spot? I do. It feels like in the last week or so that people have just kind of like ignored the results. Absolutely. I mean, I like. I think they're cooked. I, I think I said that at some point last in the last couple of weeks, because for months it was like, Oh, they got, you know, some, some of the five on five plays been good. And 
you know, they have games in hand and the Mets in the, you know, the, the East isn't very good and blah, blah, blah. There was, there were always excuses to make. And, you know, if you could squint, if you squinted hard enough, you could see them being able to make a run and slip into a wild card spot. But like, I don't know, man, I come going into, going into a couple weeks ago. That's when it really felt like the, the ship had sailed. So I think everyone kind of made, made terms with that to, to some extent, kind of, you know, uh, stored that in, in their brains and, and yeah like the the results from the last week or so haven't really lined up with it they've been fine but I don't think it changes the fact that you know this isn't a team that can realistically contend this this season so you gotta you gotta act accordingly um if the power play was like league average how different would things be yep I think that's a big part of the I, I that's the thing I, the part I left out right where you see all this stuff happening and you're like, Oh man, maybe if they figure out the power play, even a little bit, like maybe, not even to the point where it's, you know, we're, we're not looking for whatever, like uh, an, an elite unit out there. But if you can find some way to combine Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Eric Carlson and Jake Gensel and Brian Russ or whoever, whoever the fifth guy is out there into, you know, something approaching halfway decent, like they would have, Things would have gone completely differently. Absolutely, that's a huge part of why things cratered on them because there's a stretch in November and December, and then another one, you know, towards the end of January where they mm-hmm. just couldn't get anything going at all. And that and that's the difference when you're talking about, you know, six points or seven points over the course of four months that separate them from you know the Detroit's of the world, right? And if if the if the power play was better, things would be different. But it wasn't, so they're not. <laughs> What, uh, without getting too much into the X's and O's of, of the power play, like, what's the problem there? I've watched the Penguins a, f- a fair amount this season, and, like, Gino does not look comfortable on the power play, but mm-hmm. nobody really looks all that comfortable on the power play. Um, what is your assessment of what's gone on there? Going back for, what is this, 2024, 15 17, 18 years now, like when their power play has gone in the tank, it's always been, it's always really boiled down to one fundamental thing. It's that Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby want to play in the same spot. That's it. Their, 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 their approach on the power play, if they were left to their devices, would be really similar. Both of them would be on the, would be on the half wall and, and kind of, and kind of doing what they want. And they've never been able, in, in the stretches where it's worked, 2016, 2017, when they're they're winning cups, and they'd have these stretches where where they would make you forget that they ever struggled, you know, there in the first place. Um, and then they and there would be this like backsliding into the, into the kind of nonsense we saw now. So I think, you know, this season it's been that it's, it's again Malkin Crosby kind of a, a duplication issue, and then you throw in the fact that Carlson, you know. I don't know that the mix there is is is, is all is all that is is perfect, and I mm-hmm. think there's definitely an adjustment period for him, and he probably hasn't come out of it yet. So you have a fundamental flaw with the two main guys on that unit, and then you throw in another kind of alpha dog out there that that uh, that, that hasn't gelled. I'm not I'm not surprised. I, I I'm not surprised they struggled. I I think the degree to which that they that they've struggled has been kind of crazy. But I I. I People just penciling them in as like a top five group because they went out and got Eric Carlson. I I don't think they're I I don't think they were paying close enough attention over the last ten or fifteen years. Yeah. So in hindsight, can we all agree that that was a mistake to go get Carlson? 
I don't, I, I'm, I mean, in hindsight, yeah, it, it looks like it just because of the amount of money that he's owed and whatever, but I could, I could see the logic from Dubas and I, and I, and I agreed with it and I, and I still kind of do because like ultimately, you know, you're trying to win cups at the very, very tail end of, of Crosby and Malkin and Latang. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of guys that, that line up all the, all that well with that. So from a time frame standpoint, I, I, I can see it, you know, I, and also Carlson, he's been he's been fine. Like at, at five on five, he's been pre, he's been pretty good. It's just that the if if they if they could have figured out the power play, this entire season looks 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 different for them. And they and they couldn't, so they don't get any points for it. But wasn't Latang wasn't Latang fine on the power Carlson, play though? I don't think Carlson. I'm, I'm sorry. Wasn't Latang fine on the power play though? He was fine. Yeah. yeah, he he was fine. Like I like he was never. I don't think Chris Latang was ever. You know. He's not wasn't Scott Niedermeyer back there or anything. Mm. Like he wasn't he wasn't an elite an elite power play QB, but you know, he he was uh he he could set those guys up. There were stretches where where he was pretty good at, at putting at putting shots on net. Yeah, he was he was fine but but not great. And I, I think that's what you could say about, about their power play, honestly, you know, pick a time, even when things were clicking relatively well, you'd say, Yeah, it's it's it, it looks okay now, but there's always going to be this like tension there because those guys, right. you know, left to their devices would play in the same spot, and, mm-hmm. and they've always had to work around. So, this challenge for Kyle Dubas in trying to reinvigorate the roster with youth, and like anyone can make a team younger. The key is to bring in mm-hmm. good young players. Um, you know, and that and that's kind of the harder part. Um, while Sid is still good, while Gino and Latang and Carlson are all under contract. Um, out of ten, like that seems like a ten out of ten challenge. And yeah, and there's also a cap space concern there too, because that's always the way it's going to be when you have Carlson making what he does and Crosby making what he does, and you have bad contracts scattered throughout that are going to be tough to move. I almost think that's at this deadline. I think that's. You know, you could argue that that's more important for Dubas than than even trade than trading Gensel and getting like a decent roster player and a in a good prospect in in a first round pick because that's what they want. They want three elements at least in a Gensel trade. You know, you can think, you can whatever. But the easiest comparison is is the Lindholm deal, right? Um, but the 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 bigger issue for Dubas, honestly, if he wants to reset stuff over over the next couple years, is like. Move out Riley. Find a way to move out Riley Smith. Move Ricard Raquel if if you can. You know, there's there's some there's some dead weight on that on that roster aside from just the idea of having to maximize the asset of of Jake Gensel going to the deadline. So yeah, there's uh and, and that doesn't make the job any easier. So if you're calling it a ten out of ten, dude. I, I think it's. I think I I think I agree with you. It's such a crazy pivot point for this team because I was just I was reading Rob Rossi's latest piece in the Athletic and. So Gensel's not going to play tonight. Brian Rust isn't going to play tonight because he's hurt as well. Those are the second and third leading goal scorers on the team. So this means that they now have to skate Sidney Crosby with Riley Smith and Ricard Raquel, which isn't exactly loading it up for a playoff push. And then I was reading uh, Rossi's piece and he wrote, quote, Riley Smith has often appeared disinterested in playing for the mm-hmm. Penguins after his successful run with the Vegas Golden Knights. Is that an accurate reflection that what looked to be like a pretty savvy move in the offseason has just gone totally pear-shaped and Smith hasn't been good and doesn't seem all that interested in playing for Pittsburgh? 
I think that's fair. I think they probably assume that he would that his mindset would be a little bit different than it was for sure. Like I like it, the dude would rather be in Vegas. I don't blame him. Like yeah. I'd rather be in Las Vegas in February than Pittsburgh as well. But I mean, there's been that vibe has, has been there really since since the jump. Absolutely. So like then that's like who who do you blame? Do you do you blame the player for not being able to get his mind in in the right spot? Do you blame Dubis for not you know ha- like for not realizing maybe ahead of time that this guy's <laughs> you know, going to be disgruntled coming in. I, I don't know. It's some, some combo of the two, but that, that move has not worked at all. Like he's, he, he, on paper, he made sense to play with Malkin because, because he's kind of, you know, a dual threat guy. Like he's mm-hmm. a, he's a pretty good passer from, from the wing, which is always something that helps, that helps, uh, that, 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 that helps with Malkin. But man, he hasn't, that hasn't meshed at all. He was playing on the, he was playing on, on the bottom six for, for a stretch, like over, over the last, over the last month or so has not worked. Do you think Sid signs a contract extension this offseason? Because he's got one year left, but he'd be eligible July first. I think that's probably. I think that's the most likely outcome there. Still, yeah, I, I know everybody wants to, you know, put him in Colorado or for figure Vancouver. out some way. Vancouver. To, Vancouver. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just, I, it's, it's really, it's hard for, it's hard for me to see him, him going anywhere else. People, you can't underestimate how much like a creature of routine that guy is like yeah. he does not like change <laughs> and i think you know and, and nobody and nobody likes to move it, it, it sucks no matter no, no matter how much money you make so i i don't think people should discount that simple fact that like he likes his situation the organization's treated him well he likes dubis i think there's a possible way i think it's very possible to come out of the deadline in, in the off season or whatever the first part of the off season and 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 uh and be in a spot where where he's comfortable signing you know for three years and ten and a half million dollars or something. Just to speak to uh, Sid's um, comfort level in certain situations <laughs> and not wanting to change. Do you remember during the Cup final when there was like a hundred reporters there and he's like, "I'm not going uh-huh. to the podium, so you'll have to come uh-huh. to my stall." Um, now, as a taller guy, I had I had an advantage, so because I could reach my long yeah, arms in I, there and not, get my I, microphone I, in there. Did you you had to kind of weasel your way in there a little bit? I lacked I lacked that advantage. <laughs> it was just use, so I weird. Use, I needed to use I needed to use leverage and, <laughs> uh, and flexibility and elite body. But it was, it's like Jake Gensel in, in, the, in the front of the net on the power play. Like, yeah, how, how, how does that dude score goals there? I don't know. He, he should be too short, but you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> Let's talk about Jake Gensel. Um, what could he bring to a potential cup contender in a trade? He's one of the smartest hot, like positionally, he's one of the smartest hockey players I've, I've ever seen. Honestly, like that dude had a sense of because his physical gifts, like I, like we, like we just kind of said, they're not great. Like he's short. He's not like, you know, a plus plus skater. He doesn't have like a like a hard shot. Like the the physical tools are not elite, but that dude thinks the game at a level that, you know, I, I think is pretty uncommon. And that's part of the reason that he works so well with Crosby over the years, right? Like he's just been stapled to Crosby's left side almost since he, almost since he entered the league. So he's, he's fun to watch. He's a crafty dude. He's probably more physical than he gets, than he gets credit for. And I think if anybody's tempted to be like, oh, like is, it, is it easier to score goals when, when you're playing all your five on five minutes with Sidney Crosby? Like, yeah, sure. But a lot of guys, have, a lot of guys before him failed. And I, I think it speaks to, you know, I, I think it speaks more than anything to, to, to the way that dude 
to the way that dude thinks the game. Like, like he's he's at a, he's at a high level there, and I think that's what what separates him from from uh, from other players. We're speaking to Sean Gentilly from the Athletic in Pittsburgh here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder: Penguins Canucks tonight, seven o'clock from Rogers Arena. Uh, the man behind the Penguins bench, Sean Mike Sullivan. How frustrated has he been with this season? Man, it's rare to see him snap at people, but we got that last week with a, with a Montreal reporter when he, you know, kind of asked about uh, mm-hmm. asked about their their issues playing with leads and, and Sullivan. Sullivan got Sullivan got snippy, and that's that's a rare thing. Like he he's not a war, he's obviously not a warm and fuzzy dude for for public consumption at least, right? Like he's not he's not going to make reporters or, or, or media folks feel good about themselves going into <laughs> going into in, into conferences like that. But also he's not he's he's never possible like that, and I I think I, I think he was, and, and I think that's you know like speaks to the kind of frustration that's gone there on, on the team level for, for sure. But it, cause it, cause it, it has been, man. I, I look, I, we're, we're talking, talked about the power play and all that stuff. Like there, like you could see issues maybe in preseason, blah, blah, blah. That's all true. But ultimately, like, I don't think anybody thought that, you know, Sidney Crosby and Eric Carlson and Evgeny Malkin, whatever, we're going to be eight points behind the Detroit Red Wings. And by, by the time the trade deadline rolled around and they're staring down the barrel at that. So yeah, people are getting upset. And I, I think, I think Sullivan's no different there. You know, it gets interesting because when I heard Kyle Dubas speak last week, it almost sounded like part of the core that he was going to keep around included Mike Sullivan. Like there's a greater chance that Sullivan will last mm-hmm. longer than a lot of players on the active roster. Is that sort of an indication as to how high regard Dubas holds his head coach? It's an indication of that. It's also an indication of how high, uh, of how highly the ownership group Fenway Sports thinks of, of Sullivan. Right. Like he's, they decided early, like he's their guy. They like him for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, aside from being, aside from being a, 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 you know, elite, successful cup winning coach, the dude's from Boston, that doesn't hurt when you're dealing with Fenway Sports Group, right? So I, I yeah, think yeah. They, they cast their lot in with Sullivan pretty early on. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure if people are aware, like he's got three years left on his contract after, mm-hmm. after this one, he's making whatever five or $6 million a year. Like there's, there's been a major commitment that's been made to Mike Sullivan that I think, you know, at least through this season. And I know people mid season, they want to act like he's like on the hot seat or the sun. No, it was, it was never going to happen. And part of that, part of that's because they love the dude. And then the other part is because they, they owe him, you know, 18 or 20 million dollars or however much it was at, at the time when when, when people were, were really acting like he, he should get fired so it wasn't going to happen it's still unbelievably unlikely do you think sully like really plays up the uh the boston accent when he goes and meets with <laughs> fenway i think that's his default mode man i think he may <laughs> maybe plays down the boston accent when he has to but it's like if you get that dude in a room in a room by himself when he's when he, when he's talking out loud and doesn't think anybody's listening, like something tells me it's like you know goodwill hunt, goodwill hunting, like Dorchester stuff, man. Like he's, yeah. he, it's 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 legit. He code switches in the in the other direction. Like like he he, he dials it back. He doesn't have to dial it up. Yeah, you're not gonna go rob a bank, are you, Sully? <laughs> totally true. Sean, thanks for doing this today, bud. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight and the lead up to the trade deadline. We'll do this again soon. That's all. Sounds good. Thanks. That's Sean Gentilly from The Athletic in Pittsburgh here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. That was a reference to the movie The Town. The Town. The Town. 
They dressed up like nuns. Wow, not an eighties movie. I'm impressed. Not an eighties movie. Wow. Yeah. Based it, on, of course, off of Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think a Fletch reference or two as well. <laughs> the town's old now, too. I think it was made in 2010. It's like 14 years old now. That was a good movie, though. It was, it was good. Yeah. Um, so the Pittsburgh Penguins present not necessarily an interesting challenge, but they're certainly an interesting opponent, if that makes sense. They're actually coming into tonight not in fantastic shape, not having Gensel and Rust. Like you would think it's service value. Like, well, you can withstand the losses of Jake Gensel and Brian Rust. You've got, you know, Ricard Raquel and uh, Jesse Pugliarvi and Jeff Carter and Riley Smith. And Emil Benstrom. All forget those, about him. But all those guys I mentioned outside of Emil Benstrom, they all really underperformed this year. Like Jeff Carter. And Jeff Carter's 39 years old, so you're not going to hold his feet to the fire too much. But I think that, that they... That was a mistake to... Like that wasn't Dubis, but that, Sully really likes him. Yeah, there was some loyalty there from the organization. But when you look at this team, and you, when you look at this team, you're like, well, how are they doing so poorly? They're such an oddly constructed team because they brought the band back, Crosby and Malkin and uh, Latang, and then they added Carlson, which has given them middling returns at best. And you've asked pretty much every guest we've had in the last two weeks if bringing Carlson aboard was a mistake. And most of the answers have been like, I'm not sure, which isn't a ringing endorsement for the Carlson experiment. Well, I think there was a lot of people that were excited about the Carlson addition and they were probably up for it. And now they're kind of like, maybe it was a mistake. And I I just never, I never, I I felt he was a bit redundant with Latang there. Just like I, I felt he was redundant in San Jose with Brent Burns there. Like you need, more when you're building your roster it's not just a matter of like get the most good players on the team and with it, which right? is what they tried to do is they tried to surround good players with good players yeah but i don't like, think but stylistically needs, but we, we've seen it with the canucks right like you need to have fits yeah on your roster they saw an opportunity to add a guy that was a very good hockey player and a veteran guy to a group of very good veteran players but the fit wasn't right Conceptually, you just hope that it worked. Hope is not a plan. Financial advisors will tell you as much. But if you look at the Penguins as constructed this year, you could make the argument that two of the guys that have punched above their weight in terms of production were Jake Gensel, who's 52 points through 50 games, puts him as above a point a game player, and Brian Rust, who was the second leading goal scoring winger on this team behind Jake Gensel. And every time I hear Brian Rust's name, even though I've heard it a lot, I think of the Seinfeld reference where uh, Kramer has the gassy horse. Rusty. Rusty. <laughs> Rusty had 36 points I'm in 42 an, games prior I'm to an, getting hurt. Yeah. Because I'm an idiot. Oh, that's the first thing you Rusty. think Rusty. I want 600 pounds of beef Reno. <laughs> it's fit for a king or a queen <laughs> Okay, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff show. He stole my marble rye. <laughs> Uh, coming up in the eight o'clock hour, more dated television references. Also, Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, is going to join us. We will preview tonight's game from the Canucks side of things with Batch. Eight thirty. We have no giveaways today, but that shouldn't dissuade you from sending in what we learned. What did you learn over the last twenty-four hours in sports? Let us know. It's your chance to be on the radio. The Dunbar Lumber text line is six fifty-six fifty. The hashtag is WWL. The exercise. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. If you do that, and it's good, 
you will be on the radio, the Halford and Bruff Show. That's coming up at 8.30. So, batch at 8, what we learn is at 8.30. Big final hour to come. Don't go anywhere. Keep it on the dial. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.